Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your Majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field. While its roots remain in the ground, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. For him sorry. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. 
He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So much, Catherine. And um, let me add my welcome to that um, uh, of Claire earlier, and say um, it's great to be with you. It's great to be studying that part of Daniel. So, if you've got um, if you've got a Bible um, or, or the uh, or the sheets, and then do have them to cite. That's God's word. That's where He speaks infallibly, uh, and then de- do test what I'm saying uh, against that, uh, and that will be helpful. Um, but as we come together, can we pray together as we start? Because we long for God to speak, don't we? So let's ask Him to do that. Father God, I'm really aware. I'm really aware. We're coming to a passage that that speaks about um, the proud and the humble about people who think they have power that they don't. Uh, And so, Father, I I pray that you would do what I can't do. Would you speak to us? Would you speak to each of our hearts? And might it be that you would work in us so that we might have uh, really the uh, the same outcome as Nebuchadnezzar? Would we be excited about you speaking to us? Even, Father, when that's that's painful. Uh, Father, I can't convince anybody of this. I can't come to that conclusion myself unless uh, you work in me and you work in us. And so would you do that? Would you speak to us now, I pray? I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, We are a nation that loves um, witty put-downs, aren't we? Um, It's said of of Winston Churchill that Lady Nancy asked him, she said, Winston, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. Apparently he responded, Nancy, if you were my wife, I would drink it. A witty, a witty comeback. Uh, we, we, we like witty comebacks. Uh, we might not like it with Winston Churchill, but we, we, we love it on The Apprentice, don't we? If you ever watch The Apprentice and, and, and kind of see the amazing boasts that the people uh, who are Lord Sugar's apprentice make, uh, here's just a few of them. Um, I can taste success in my spit when I wake up, says one of them. Uh, another said, um, uh, I think outside the box. If I was an apple pie, the apples inside me would be oranges. Uh, as a salesperson, I'd rate myself as probably the best salesperson in Europe, one of them said. Another one said, I'm like Midas, everything I touch turns to sold. Um, these huge, massive boasts. And yet, what is it that we love as we're watching The Apprentice? We love watching those people who make these outrageous boasts being cut down to size, don't we? There's something in us that really enjoys uh, seeing that uh, in others There's something in us that needs to see that as we face people of whom we're scared. The classroom bully being reined in. We we love that, don't we, when they get their comeuppance. How many stories have been told about people getting uh, their comeuppance? The, The teacher who just likes their power that little bit too much. And we long for them to be brought down to size. The politician 
who thinks the rules don't apply to them and being brought back to size. The uh, abusive partner who's finally reined in. The dictator who's finally brought to justice. But we, we long for people to be put in their right place, don't we? And this is a passage where we're going to see somebody put in their right place. And yet amazingly, what we see is this is a king who is put in his right place. And yet in it all and through it all, he is glad that God has done it. Uh, I wonder if you heard at the end, he's, he's praising God as the one who has dominion, uh, eternal dominion. Uh, we didn't read it actually, but right at the start of the chapter, uh, we see that he says, I, I'm glad to tell you of what God has done, that the, the works and the signs and the wonders that God has done in my life. Here is somebody who's brought down to size and who's glad about it. And if you've ever been brought down to size, you'll realize, ouch, it hurts. And it's hard to be glad about it, isn't it? So what, uh, how does it work? Well, what we see, first of all, is that we see in this passage of God uh, who warns the proud. Uh, We've got Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and uh, we've seen him before. We've seen that he is a a dictator over a massive kingdom, one of the biggest in the world. Uh, We've seen that he is a a king uh, who is able to do more or less anything he wants. Uh, And we've seen before he's a king who's sometimes troubled by dreams. Back in chapter 2, we saw him uh, troubled by dreams. He couldn't sleep. Uh, Here again, we see him troubled by dreams. Back in chapter 2, he calls the advisors to come and help him, and they can't help him. Here, he calls the advisors to come and help him, and they can't help him. Back in chapter 2, Daniel comes forward with the interpretation of the dream. Here, Daniel comes forward once again with the interpretation of the dream. Uh, And what we see is that this is a dream that warns King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, We we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has dreamt about a tree, a massive tree. And that wouldn't have been a strange thing. Back in uh, those days, in the ancient Near East, um, kings and trees were often kind of uh, symbols, uh, or rather, trees were often symbols of kings, uh, ancient, powerful, uh, sustaining an ecosystem, those sorts of things. But this was, this was a big tree. This was the biggest tree. Uh, we saw that its, uh, its tops reached the heavens. This is King Nebuchadnezzar dreaming of himself as the most powerful king. In fact, as Daniel hears this dream, it would be ringing all sorts of bells for him. You see, in the Bible, trees also mean something. Remember back in at the start of the Bible, Adam and Eve, and there they had the tree of, of life in the middle of the garden? That tree was, was seen, and, and, and uh, in kind of the uh, ancient literature, was seen as a massive Tree. In fact, the rabbinic, the, the rabbis used to talk about that tree, uh, and they used to uh, they used to say that um, uh, it would take five hundred years to scale to the top of it. In other words, the top of it was in uh, the heavens. Uh, this tree of life, according to one of the apocryphal books, uh, in the um, that speak of what's going on, and add colour to the Old Testament. It says this: Enoch saw the tree of life on a journey to the ends of the earth. It was planted on God's mountain throne and was marvelous, and its beauty uh, was beholden. It's a huge, beautiful tree. What Nebuchadnezzar is dreaming of is this tree of life. And the thing about the tree of life is that it was the tree that gave life to anybody who would eat of it. It's a tree that would sustain life. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar's dream does the same. Uh, He's a tree that has whole ecosystems living in him. 
Do you see what Nebuchadnezzar is doing? In his dream, he is dreaming that he is the one who sustains life, that he is that very tree of life. And in his dream, he's dreaming it because in his mind, he's thinking it. You see, what happens here is there's a subtle shift uh, in Nebuchadnezzar um, from being uh, the king tree, the powerful one, to being the king who thinks he reigns over the earth, the one who is actually in control. He, he takes God's place here uh, as this tree. And what does God do? He warns him. In fact, we see that warning come three times uh, in our passage. The first is actually just before uh, the start of our reading uh, in verse 17. If you've got it there, you can see it. But it comes up again in verse 27, uh, sorry, verse 25 and verse 32 as well. They say the same thing. They say again and again um, that the living might know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to whoever he wishes and sets them them, uh, for people. So what's, what's he doing? God is warning Nebuchadnezzar. He's saying, look, you've had this dream that you are the tree of life, but in actuality, what I need you to know is that the Most High is sovereign. You are setting yourself up as God, uh, as the one who can sustain and who can give and who thinks of himself as God. And yet what you need to know is that the Most High, the only God, is God. And so what does he do? He, he, He warns. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, look... I'm sending you a dream that if you think of yourself as that tree, what's going to happen? That tree's going to be cut down and it's going to be leveled for a time until you realize that the Most High is God. Now, some of you might be thinking, we're reading a lot into a tree here, aren't we? But, but listen to what Nebuchadnezzar describes himself in verse 30 as doing. He says, is this not great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. See, Nebuchadnezzar is living in his own strength, with himself as king for his own glory. He's taking the place of God, and God says, I will show you that that cannot stand. What's the kingdom of God like? It's a kingdom that first warns. It warns us, look, if you live with yourself as God, you will be brought to size. You will come to a time when God will show you, I am God and you are not. That that cosmic treason of living with yourself as God in God's world will not stand. And again, this this is a warning to us, isn't it? Because... So often we naturally do this. We naturally put ourselves at the center. We naturally trust in ourselves uh, as the ones who provide. It's Harvest Sunday, isn't it? We, we've got some amazing uh, gifts behind us that are going out to others. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing. But there is a danger here. That there's a danger that when we go and we buy those things and we give to others, uh, that we think somehow that we are the ones who are the generous ones, uh, that we are the ones who are providing for others and we forget that nothing we have, nothing we have, comes to us other than God's gift to us. We think that we're in control of our money, of our time, of our sanity, of, uh, of our next moments. And God shows us again and again, no, I am the one who is in control. Live with yourself as king. Live with yourself as if this is your world. 
and you are heading for being cut down to size. So let me ask you, as you walk around Tesco's and you put things in your trolley, do you say thank you? Uh, are you marked by thankfulness as you put things in the trolley? Uh, as you see the, the, the paycheck or the pension come in, when was the last time that you stopped and said, God, thank you so much for that? That's, that, that, that's, that's a gift that has come to me from you, something I, I can't do myself. Uh, when was the last time that when you figured out something really tricky, you said, God, thank you so much for giving me a mind that can figure these things out? That as you walk into work on a Tuesday morning, you say, God, thank you so much for providing this job for me. You see, often our thanklessness shows us that really there's a part of us that thinks, this is down to me. I earned this. And if we think that we earned it, that it is uh, our, uh, that is something of us that has created this food, this money, this job, this time, this sanity, whatever it is, We're beginning to step into Nebuchadnezzar's shoes, aren't we? Because if it's down to me, then the glory goes to me. If it's down to me, then this is the kingdom I have built. And as my thankfulness to God goes down, so my self-centeredness goes up. And the Bible again and again warns us, live with yourself as king, live with yourself as God, and you will be cut down to size. It might be that you're here today and you think, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here because it's Harvest Festival. I'm here and it's lovely to come along. I wouldn't call myself a Christian. This isn't, this isn't the kind of stuff I come to church to hear. And if that's you, please, can I say firstly, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Please keep coming. Please keep looking into this. We really are glad you are here. But if Nebuchadnezzar can be a king who is cut down to size and be thankful for it, Maybe actually we can be thankful for a warning that God gives us. And and, and so please do listen in. Keep listening in as we go through. Because the thing is that it goes from God warning to God acting in this passage. Uh, God warns and he he acts. And and he he hands over. He hands Nebuchadnezzar over. This is what we see. So Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream. Uh, He's warned. Look, you will be cut down to size until you realize that God is God and you're not. And 12 months later, 12 months later, God is patient. This is a whole year later. He's had this dream for a year and Nebuchadnezzar stands and he looks out on Babylon. And Babylon would have been impressive. It would have had two of the, tw- of the seven wonders of the world, the hanging, bab- the hanging baskets, the walls. It would have been incredible. He was stood on one of three palaces he owned. He's a powerful man. And he says, look what I've built. Look what I've done. This is of me. And God says, verse 31, little number 31, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Suddenly, what does God do? He says, hey, you know, if this is all of you, then let me just remove some of the things I've given to you. Let me just uh, remove from you your sanity for a while. King Nebuchadnezzar, um, 
Here's the thing, I've been spending some time in the medical journals. You guys who are medics can tell me this way better than I can. Apparently it's called boanthropy is what he gets. He self-identifies as a cow, believes he's a cow, and he eats the grass. And all of a sudden, not because he's no longer the king, not because he's no longer Nebuchadnezzar, but God just removing one thing from him means that suddenly the most powerful man in the world can only look up at his palaces. The, most, uh, the man accustomed to giving choice food to the exiles in chapter 1 is choosing between blades of grass to chew on. The man who would have been perfumed and look and sound the most fashionable of the day, who people would have looked up to, all of a sudden is unkempt, And in a field, drenched in dew. See, what does does God do? He he hands Nebuchadnezzar over. He says, okay, if this is of you, well then let's see where you get to without me. Let's see where you get to without uh, the critical thinking that I gave you. Let's see where you get to without access to your money, to your food. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. Humbled until... He realizes who God is, humbled until he learns the lesson that God is God and he is not. God warns, uh, and then he acts, he hands over. And here's the thing, for those of us who live with ourselves as God, we are handed over from time to time to taste how that feels. And my friends, this can be really very painful indeed. Those times when we think that we have got it together, when we act as if we are the tree of life, able to sustain ourselves and the world around us, and we are brought to a moment of realizing we can't do that. And it happens in all sorts of different ways. It happens as we find that we go to the bank and the money's not there. It happens as the economy takes a downturn. It happens as that conversation happens that rocks our world on some Tuesday. It happens as the diagnosis comes in. It happens uh, as we, just in the way in which we've reacted to other people around us, have alienated people just one too many times. uh, And we find ourselves in that place of tasting what it is to trust in ourselves, to trust in what we have put forward as as self-reliance. And it's incredibly painful. And God allows us to go through it. Uh, But in allowing us to go through it, why does he do that? He does that in order that we might learn the lesson that God is God and we are not. Here God takes Nebuchadnezzar who thinks he is a God. And he makes him like an animal in order that he might realize that he is only a human. That everything he has comes from God. And there are times in life when we too will taste what it is. And this isn't every time things are hard, I'm not saying that, but it is that sometimes when things are hard, we're handed over to the, react, to the results of what we're trusting in. And that cuts us down to size. We realize that God is God and we are not. But again, it might be that as you're listening again, but okay, this is, this is bad news, this is sad news. Ha, ha, I came to church and, and was expecting good news. That's what the gospel is, isn't it? Well, remember, Nebuchadnezzar rejoices in this. 
And he rejoices in this because actually what happens is we realize I'm not God, but God is, is I realize that God does a whole lot better job of being God than I do. As we go through the scriptures, we find out what this God is like. The God who humbles the proud is the God himself who is the tree of life. The one who gives freely. A God who, who, who loves to bless his people. The God who is God himself doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. No, he made himself human. Not because he had to, but because he longed to. Uh, he, he went to another tree, to, to the cross, where he was nailed to the cross to take the place uh, for all our cosmic trees and all our treating this world as if I'm God and God's not. Uh, he, ca- he takes the place for all of that. Why? So that he can offer us life and life to the full. So he can offer us life which is freely forgiven, uh, a life that revolves around him, a life where we can realize that if I try and do it myself, I can't do it. But when I, when I look to that God, he has done it all. And when I realize that that God is the God who freely gives, then I rejoice in the fact that he's the one. That he is the one who has dominion. That he is the one who is God and not me. Because God does a whole lot better job than I do. So as we finish, I'd love just to ask you the question. Who or what are you trusting in as your God? If you're a Christian here today, don't just rush to immediately say, oh, of course I trust in Jesus. In practice, who or what are you trusting in? What does your thankfulness reveal? Or lack thereof? When a problem comes up, Do you immediately think you are the answer? What does your prayerfulness or lack thereof reveal about where you think authority really lies? Are we perhaps a little bit more like Nebuchadnezzar than we'd like to admit? But if that is us, let us run to the God who truly is in control. Let us run to the one who went to the cross for us. Let us look to him and rejoice that he is the God who is in control. Let me lead us in a prayer. Oh, our Father. We are sorry. We're sorry for those times when we treat ourselves like God, where we think that we are are what we are not, where we think we're in control, or things rest on us. Father, I pray, I, I dare to pray that you would sometimes take us to where those ends lead us. Show us the futility of trusting in ourselves in order that we might delight in trusting in you. Would you, by your spirit, take us on the journey Nebuchadnezzar has been on in order that, like him, we might rejoice in the God who humbles the proud but exalts the humble. For we pray it in the name of the one who is humbled for us, Jesus Christ. Amen.